Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm your co-host, Jacob Solis. And Jacob, today we've got three stories for the audience. One on the Oakland A's, an update on what's going on with them. You and me talk to reporter Howard Stutz. After that, Alex Kuro, our wonderful podcast intern extraordinaire, talks with Carly Savageo about downwinders and the impacts of nuclear testing and what happens many decades in the future after nuclear testing happens. We round out the show with a conversation with me, who is leading up the elections newsletter, Indie Elections, and what we're covering for the 2024 presidential election. All righty. Well, Jacob and I are joined by reporter Howard Stutz, who, Howard, you have gone from the gaming reporter to the sports reporter, it seems like. There is so much going on with sports in Las Vegas, with the F1 race, the Super Bowl, and of course, the A's, which you have been just steeped in. Yeah. You know, I started out long before you guys were born as a sports writer at the Las Vegas Sun, covering UNLV football. And at that time, this was like the early 80s, UNLV basketball was the sports in Las Vegas. That's what everybody watched. That's what, that was what drove the town. Now UNLV is kind of an afterthought right now. It's strange. The way, you know, because the basketball program really has, hasn't been that good in the last few years. Well, let's talk about another team that's not very good right now. <laughs> Excellent transition. Great transition. <laughs> the Oakland A's, soon to maybe be the Las Vegas A's, You've been doing a lot of reporting on it. There's a lot to catch up on. We haven't talked in a while. Let's just start with when are they going to end up in Las Vegas? Originally, it sounded like it was maybe 2025, but now it sounds like the stadium's not going to happen for a little while. So now it sounds like it might be 2028, maybe. Joey, they're they're definitely set to play in Oakland next year. Okay, so that is because Major League Baseball, they came out with the schedule right after the All-Star break in July. The A's are, and they have another year lease on the Oakland Coliseum. So they're definitely, and that was always known. They were going to be in Oakland in 2024. We're waiting on Major League Baseball to approve the relocation. Apparently the application is done. Three owner committee that's exploring this right now. And then it will go to a full vote of the Major League owners. They need 75% of the 30 owners. It seems like a foregone conclusion that they will get, if not unanimous, they'll get at least 75%. So, and then it becomes now they got to put everything together to build the stadium in Las Vegas, which they have said all along on the, on the side of the Tropicana, it wouldn't be ready until 2028. That's right now the, the timeline. So they've got to figure out, okay, where are they going to play in 2025, 2026, and 2027? And it had been mentioned about playing at Las Vegas Ballpark, the 10,000-seat AAA stadium for the Las Vegas Aviators, which happens to be the Oakland A's farm team. So a lot of those players have played there. But there's need to be improvements to it. And Major League Baseball would probably frown on playing in, in 106 degrees evening in July outdoors So because there's no roof on it. So it's fine for the minor leagues, but maybe not for Major League Baseball. So they could end up back in Oakland, stay there. That was... The Oakland Ra- the Raiders stayed in Oakland for three years until Allegiant Stadium was built. So that's happened before. There's a talk of they said the A's said, well, we can share Oracle Park with the Giants. Joey, you're a Giants fan. But that's not going to go over very well with the San Francisco Giants. <laughs> yeah. No. So I so it's up in the air what'll happen. There's still a lot to be determined still. They have the bill through the legislature. They got the, the 380 million public money. They, they we do, we still don't know the private financing piece of this. 
lot of head of the story. So it ain't going away. So one thing I wanted to ask you about, Howard, was you actually went to Oakland recently and you talked to all kinds of people, among them mascots and beleaguered fans alike. So I guess what I want to know is what's your takeaway? You know, what, what did you learn when you were out there? They've had these reverse boycotts where they still fill the stadium and chance sell the team, sell the team. And so they get 25, 30,000 fans even they've had this year. This is a 47,000-seat stadium. They, there's like a whole bunch of it's blocked off that they don't use. It, the Knights I was there, they had 4,000 and 5,000 fans. So it was very small. That's what I wanted to see, the crowd that really goes to the A's games, really cares about them. And universally, they they still love the team. They don't they hold nothing against the players. They love the players. They root for them. They they, they wear their fan gear. They're, they love going to this old historic ballpark, and they are – very, very angry at the ownership for this move, for this potential move. And unlike the Raiders, where Raiders fans have followed the team to Las Vegas, universally, the A's fans said, no, I will not follow them to Las Vegas. I'm done. <laughs> and whether it'll be a Giants fan, I don't have no idea. But they just, they're, they're, they're angry about this. I spent pretty much the entire game wandering through the stands, talking to fans, the ones who had the flags and the banners in right field. They had to sell the team, sell Ka out Fisher, out Cavill, the, who's the president, Fisher, the owner. My favorite sign was the fold Nevada sign with the four playing cards, uh, an homage to a term of folding your hand. They're very, they're very loyal to the team. They want the team to stay there. So right now the fans will stay loyal. Those, 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 Small fan group will stay loyal to them, I would think, if they stay there next year. They may be, like I said, they may be forced to stay in the next few years. But, Jacob, the thing was, the fans were really, really still loyal to this team, but they're not, but, but to, a, to a point, they won't be loyal to a team with Las Vegas in front of, in front of the name. Was there a much animosity towards Nevada or towards Las Vegas from the A's fan, or was this more towards the, the, the ownership and, and, and leadership of the A's themselves? Well, they weren't, nobody really said anything negative to me about Vegas. They all knew there, there, there was, it was out on social media. I, I posted some stuff on, on, on X, formerly Twitter, <laughs> that I'm coming to Oakland. I want to talk to fans. A couple of the media people in Oakland, the Bay Area, tweeted out about me going to be there the, at the stadium. So I got recognized and they were very, fans were very friendly. They were glad that the Nevada Independent was telling their side of the story, not just the Vegas side. They were telling the, we were telling the Oakland side. What is the feelings there in Oakland? Like you guys just asked me. So I got a very good reception there. They're not so mad at Vegas in a sense. They've lived through this with the Raiders up there. They're moved, going to going from Oakland to Vegas. It's they're really angry at the ownership because they feel they haven't invested in the team. They bounced around on stadium ideas, trying to find a stadium in, in the Bay Area, back and forth with different places. And so that's where their that's where their anger is really directed at. And I, I want to move to Vegas here for a second because one thing that also just came into the news was that they've decided on a builder for the stadium, which is gonna be that Tropicana site. It's 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 gonna be the smallest MLB stadium when it's built. So who's that builder and and what's the stadium gonna look like? What's the situation there? Right now they have nine acres of the 35 acre Tropicana site. They put out these renderings during the legislative session. Coincidentally, on the day the bill dropped that talked about all the public financing, that was kind of a, a dodge to for, for some media, oh, look, pretty pictures. And now they have since said those renderings are out the door. You wad them up and throw them away. They're going through discussions, design phases on this stadium. They say they'll have 
an architect or official design sometime later this year. Bally's has been involved. Bally's Corporation, which owns the operates the Tropicana, they've been involved. They said they're going to operate the Tropicana at least 16 to 24 months, and then they'll tear it down. So there's, there's still the question of the timeline. Now, we still don't know about, now there's talk, is it going to be a retractable roof or it's going to be a permanent roof now? That could be the other, that could be the other question. That's all this talk and the, the way they have the, te- the stadium facing to, to the West is just, that doesn't work for baseball. So there's still a lot of questions on the design. They hired the, the, fir- the, the, con- the construction firms that oversaw Allegiant Stadium. That was smart because they, they got Allegiant Stadium done in 31 months. So we'll, we'll see where the next phases are on this. And a lot of it's due with the financing too. Okay, Howard. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us about this. I'm sure there will be a lot more discussion about baseball and the A's, as well as a lot of other sports on this podcast as we move into the the latter half of the year. So thanks so much, Howard. And hopefully Jacob will break down uh, F1 and give his predictions on that race. Oh, you can hold me to this. Unless Max Verstappen is incapacitated, he will win by one minute. Hold me to that. (laughs) All right. Well, you you heard it here first, folks. Carly. Hello. How are you? I am great. I'm excited to be here to talk with you about something very interesting and relevant because a certain movie just came out that we were just talking about that I saw. It was called Oppenheimer. Yes. And hopefully most of our listeners have seen it because we're going to talk about nuclear testing today. Yes. Yes. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) And that movie was based in New Mexico. Although you were telling me there's no bombs actually developed here in Nevada, we had a lot of nuclear testing sites. Yes. Between 1951 and 1963, the Nevada test site was developed and it was developed in the the middle of the Cold War in order to test bombs because they were testing in the Pacific and then they realized that people were like outside international forces were starting to watch them, so they had to find a place that was easy to hide and had a low population. And you were telling me that's why they chose Nevada, because there was back in those days not a huge population? So when the test site was developed in 1950, the population of Clark County was a little over 47,000 people, and Las Vegas was making up about half that county's population. Your story focuses more on the after effects of these nuclear tests and these nuclear testing sites. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. I calculated around 56,600 people that would have been affected by this. And people that I talked to, they talked about being able to watch the nuclear bombs, atmospheric testing go off. Like Las Vegas had view parties on top of casinos. They had atomic cocktails in more rural areas than they could climb to top of mountains. A lot of people described, they were little kids at this time, now they're old people, but their moms would take them in and they describe the sounds of it. One person I interviewed, David Spicer, he owns a ranch in Beatty. He would describe when the bombs went off, he could see them and you'd see the like the ripple like a wave on the ground and it would like shake the windows and the the shaking of the windows was a big common thread that same guy spicer he said that he went to a basketball camp in california and there was an earthquake and him and one other person from rural nevada who was also at the camp was talking about like when there was an earthquake there they said oh 
We didn't know you guys did nuclear testing here. One guy that I talked to, his dad was a county commissioner, so they also had VIP watch parties for these atmospheric tests, and his dad was one of the people who was able to go out and actually attend this event. So during this time, were they aware of the after effects? The term downwinders comes from, they would wait for the wind to change so it would go towards a smaller population. They wouldn't want it to go towards Vegas or Los Angeles. I know St. George got some of it, like Lander, Nye, Eureka counties, those kinds. They obviously knew that something was going on. The rural communities were taking the brunt. I talked to some people from the Desert Research Institute, and they studied St. George, and there's not really increased rates of cancer, these certain types of cancer, so like thyroid, lung cancer. So how much did it actually affect people? But then I've also heard personal stories of people's cousins getting lung cancer very young and that sort of thing. So it feels inconclusive, I should say. Because there is data out there that being exposed to that amount of radioactivity is not good for you. But as you were saying, you can't really connect them conclusively. Mm -hmm. I think it's just, obviously, radioactivity does contribute to illnesses, but it's also like, how much radioactivity were they really getting? And you have to keep in mind as well, a lot of these atmospheric tests were done underground. Also, they were taking precautions. A big part of your article talks about these people who are exposed to this getting compensation. Yeah, federal compensation for people who lived in Eureka, Lander, Lincoln, Nye, White Pine, or northeastern portions of Clark counties. There's also like certain cancers that only qualify lung and thyroid cancer, like the big ones. And the reason why I was interested in this story is because I was visiting my parents in July, a week before I did say Oppenheimer. And I saw in the paper that early July was the year mark for people to claim compensation. And this, the compensation has been renewed before it could be again, but people have about a year to claim compensation if they've experienced this. These cancers. Yeah, and it's if you've lived in these counties between 1951 and 1963. I will say the Nevada test site still exists. It is the Nevada National Security Site now, and they develop a lot of different things. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. Oh, hello, Jacob. You were on the first segment and the intro, and now you're on the third segment. <laughs> Welcome. It, it feels good to be back, Joey. I have dominated the podcast today. We love we love a Jacob Dominant Podcast. <laughs> and Jacob, we are talking about something that you're going to be undertaking for the next several months, many, many months to come, which is Indie Elections, our new elections newsletter. Tell me about it. That's right. Well, we call it the new elections newsletter, but it's really just the same elections newsletter, but we've changed the name so that it's no longer the year of the election. So you can all thank me for that. That was my doing. <laughs> but yeah, that's right. So we've got an elections newsletter. So if you've been following the Indy for a long time, we, we've been doing this since last cycle. What it is, is we're trying to bring you the kind of news that you may not find just through the regular stories, right? A lot of the stuff that is going to shape the election, the trends, the voter interviews, a lot of the little things that we think you need to know. It is September of 2023 right now. The election's not for a while. <laughs> Why so early? 
Well, Joey, you'd be surprised to hear this, but the election campaign is already happening. Um, oh my God. <laughs> I know. So even if we have not gotten a ton of presidential attention, which I should also say is rare, just as a point of comparison, we were getting a lot more presidential election attention in 2020. In August, just the month of August in 2019, there were 25 candidate visits. Throughout all of 2023, we have had two. So just to contextualize the level of, <laughs> of attention the Democrats were giving Nevada in, in 2020 and the level of attention the Republicans are giving the state now, I think there's a lot more attention on Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina and those early states. Yeah. All of that said, there are plenty of elections happening. And the big one for us, I think, is going to be the Senate race. Although, funnily enough, the Senate race this year is probably less crucial in the national picture than last cycle's Senate race, whereas sort of Jackie Rosen is maybe going to get less attention than races like Joe Manchin in West Virginia or John Tester in Montana, guys like that. So it's just funny, funny how it all works. What at the end of the day, Joey, these elections are heating up. Yes, they are. And you're going to be covering all of that in the newsletter. What, what are things you're going to be looking out for that you probably expect to be writing a lot about? That's right. And I should say, too, it will not be just me. In fact, it will be a stable of reporters who are all covering these elections. So you'll probably see my name a bunch, but you'll also see Sean Galanka, who is covering the Senate race for us. You'll see Gabby Berenbaum, our D.C. Bureau reporter, who is going to be handling a lot of the congressional races. And you're going to see Tabitha Mueller, who's helping us with our legislative coverage and coverage up north. I think what we're really interested in is the contours of what 2024 is going to look like. Because I think if you look in Nevada as a state, I think the legislature is going to be way more important than it has been in past cycles, because it will decide whether or not Governor Joe Lombardo gets to do anything in 2025. Because if the Democrats are able to get a supermajority in the Senate and the Assembly, something they are only one seat away from, then that's it. He can't, they can override any vetoes that he issues. Uh, and so right now, Governor Joe Lombardo, even though he's not on the ballot, is going to do everything he can. We're talking about money, we're talking about resources, PACs, advertisements, all kinds of stuff to make sure that he does not have to deal with two supermajorities. Separately, on the federal level, I think you will see a lot of interest in Nevada as, yet again, a swing state, right? It doesn't have a lot of electoral votes, but what electoral votes we do have are mighty. And finally, one of the things that we'll be tracking pretty closely as well are the ads and the polls, right? I think Nevadans are used to seeing a lot of ads at election time. And we want to make sure that when those ads are running, that we are analyzing them, that we're looking at the content, who paid for them, and who those ads are going to, right? Because I think there's a lot of targeting of different constituencies. Because Republicans want to chip away, I think, at a lot of the non-white voting blocks, right? We're talking about, of course, Black and Hispanic voters, huge voting blocks in Southern Nevada, but also Asian American voters, right? Asian American and Pacific Islanders, who are an increasingly important voting block for Democrats specifically. And so Republicans want to do anything they can uh, to get those voters over to their side. And frankly, a lot of that, you're going to see the culture war. The culture war is here to stay. And so expect a lot of that in 2024. We can find all of that and more in Indie Elections, which what's the release schedule for that, Jacob? We are currently releasing every Tuesday, and we reserve the right to release even more than that if the news dictates. Right now, it's still a little chill, so we'll stick with once a week. All right, Jacob. Well, you can find the first few editions of that on our website, thenevadaindependent.com, where you can also sign up for that weekly, maybe more, with a newsletter. And Jacob, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I will see you in about 10 seconds on the outro. See you in about 10 seconds, Joey.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We want to thank Howard Stutz, Carly Savageau, and Alex Kuro for being on the show today. This show is produced and edited by me, Joey Lovato, with additional help from Michelle Rendells and Alex Kuro. If you want to help support the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. You can also email us at podcast at com. Our theme song is from Emily Pratt, and we have additional music from Storyblocks, June Pearson, and Joey. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm your co-host, Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next week. And I'm leaving to go to New York on Wednesday next week for a week and a half. Please tell me if you see any of New York's newfangled trash cans. I'm just fascinated by this idea that they've just discovered. What? Well, you know how in New York they don't throw stuff away in cans. They simply use the street as God intended. Oh.